0: A joy to welcome you here this morning, as always. And um, I'm Pastor Joey, and it's my privilege to welcome you. Uh, we're going to talk in just a few moments uh, out of the book of Titus, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And so I'll read that in just a few moments. But uh, it seemed like last week when everybody, and you always encourage me when you're here on Sunday morning and when everybody kind of rolls in in the holiday month of December and December the 3rd last week, and We talked a little bit about Christmas in some of our conversations with you, and you can see this look of panic that kind of hits your face. You know, it's December the 3rd already, and Christmas shopping and things haven't even begun, right? And it's kind of how you feel, um, and that's kind of how I felt, but Amazon is a great gift, isn't it? And uh, so you probably have, you know, I discovered you can actually assign something that you order to a different address. You You don't have to have it mailed to your home. And that's a huge help, especially when you've got Kansas City, Colorado, and Germany represented in the family network. And so that works pretty well. So there's a little bit of uh, a tidbit, a practical tidbit of advice. Uh, just order it and have it go straight to the people you're, gonna, you're getting it for, and that takes care of a few weeks anyway. But it is good to have you here, and I don't want you to have a sense of panic uh, in this month of December. I want you to have a sense of peace and joy. And it is a wonderful time of the year to feel that and to know that and experience that. And this morning, if I could kind of just summarize everything I want to say to you and to kind of put it in a propositional statement, I would just say to you that uh, it's so important that we do the unexpected as an act of worship. And that's really what I think uh, Paul is after when he talks to Titus about doing good deeds And he says this several times in this letter to Titus. He talks about doing good deeds. Uh, Again, we could say it to to do the unexpected as an act of worship. And then when we pull the gospel uh, perspective into this, we could say doing the unexpected for the undeserving as an act of worship. Right? Because God has done something incredible for each of us who are very undeserving but yet he loves, and that's the gospel. And so uh, Titus, uh, Paul talked about some of these things in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through uh, 8. He talks about them. He has talked about them already to the believers uh, on the island of Crete. And so he says now, Titus, I want to remind you to say these things to the people that I've already said these things to them, and I've reminded them of these things, and you're going to see what those things are in just a moment. He says, but I want you to remind them, I want you to bring them up again and again and again. I want you to just reinforce it uh, over and over again with the believers on Crete. Okay? And then so uh, he goes on, he talk, he's going to talk about um, how it's so important for us to remember uh, our civi- uh, civic obligations, that we are good citizens in the community in which we live. That's verses one and two. He's gonna talk about remembering our past life and reminding everybody about where we came from and what life used to be. That's verse three of, cha- of Titus chapter three, verses one through eight. And uh, he's going to talk about remembering um, salvation or the gospel and remembering it in such a way that, that it evokes uh, the time of our baptism Because uh, the way things are worded in verses 4 through 7, it's worded in the form of a a creedal statement. It has a rhythm, a cadence to it when you read it in the Greek. And so he's taking them back. Once again, he does it in chapter 2. He takes them back in chapter 3 to the point of their baptism where it's... All these things, he uses uh, baptism vocabulary to convey to the people that, hey, remember what God has done in your life. And remember, make sure we, we do, we keep everything central and the gospel has to be central. All right. And so he, he, he writes about that. And then in finally in chapter or verse 8 of chapter Titus 3, um, he's just going to reiterate to continue emphasizing and underscoring these things over and over again. But it's so important that we do the unexpected as an act of worship. And I think the reason Paul does it and says it this way and emphasizes this is because the Christian community on the island of Crete was already suspect. It was seen as seditious. Any Christian movement or house church uh, fellowships were seen as seditious. They, they were non-participants. They were outliers, right? They didn't necessarily like the Roman leadership, and so they were known as kind of rebel-rousing, uh, right? And so they, they created headaches, a lot a lot of headaches, typically for their what we would call our mayors or their civic leaders or magistrates. And so this was the kind of atmosphere that they had uh, on the island of Crete, Crete was kind of known for this, and we kind of have the same idea today. If you if you are from the south southeast, you're kind of uh, known for your hospitality and your love and and uh, your your uh, warmth. If you're from the northeast, you're kind of known for being a little staid and a little more reserved, right? It's just it's stereotypes, but it's they kind of carry over. Uh, in our thoughts and the way we, the things that we experience when we go to those places. Well, if you would have visited the island of Crete, you would have felt this sense of rebel rousing, this nonconformist. In fact, uh, early, back in the 60s, the island of Crete was known as a haven for hippies. Um, the hippies, the uh, uh, back in the 60s, you had your Janis Joplins and your. Uh, uh, Bob Dylan's and some of the people that kind of discovered the island. In fact, pull a picture up. It's kind of interesting. Uh, I Let's see. What picture? We, your, uh, slide number 22. Okay. They even ran a, a cover story on this in Life Magazine where you look on to, to the left. Two Californians at home in a cave in Crete. This is southeastern Crete. Go to the next slide. This is 1968. Um, uh, let's see. Go backward one slide. I'm sorry. We're going to go to reverse order. Um, there's... Uh, what artist is that on the left? Who Who's from the 60s, 70s? Out loud? You got it. Joni Mitchell, that's right. And so she spent some time there. And And go to the next slide, or, yeah, the previous slide. There we go. So you can see um, the island of Crete, very beautiful, okay? You can just kind of picture... Um, Yeah, you can kind of picture the baptisms going on here and just in the little harbors and just the mountains. And it was just a beautiful place. But they had a reputation, a rebel-rousing reputation. Kind of like a stereotype, but they lived it out in a lot of ways in their life. The nonconformists would show up on the island of Crete. It was known for pirates that would hang out in some of those caves. And they would just find commit their crime on the high seas and they would run and flee to this island and that's where they would set up a home and just kind of stay off of the radar and get off the grid and kind of live their life well the gospel had come to this island and these individuals had found christ and it was beautiful and paul is putting titus in charge of the new believers on this island community and he's encouraging them here let's put this let's structure this And let's set this up in such a way that that the people, the new community that lives on Crete, can be a positive, high-impact testimony, and they can live out through selfless acts of service. They can live out not just in their churches, where he talks about elders in chapter 1, not just in their families, where he talks about all the older and the younger and the the men and the women and the servants and the household codes that he talks about in chapter 2, but he is laying before the peoples now. He's like, okay, we've got the church address, we've got the home address. Now we need to address community life. What is the perception of the church, the new community, on the island of Crete? And how are they going to draw the perceptions? How are they going to? What, what are they going to conclude about the Christian community of Crete by watching how we live and how we speak? And, 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 and what kind of citizens we are, and what kind of workers we are, and what kind of teammates and co-laborers we are. And that was Paul's concern. So in a cultural climate that was, anti, was anti-Christian, and kind of like our climate today, it's kind of biased toward, has a bias against Christianity, Paul says, I don't want you looking at your culture with contempt. I don't want you looking down at this corrupt culture with an attitude of how awful they are and how horrible it is to live in this kind of a cultural environment and have this attitude, this air of superiority, this, this, this air of the spirit of obnoxiousness that gets conveyed to people that, that you guys are messing this island up for everybody else. Paul says, I don't want you to live your life that way. I want you instead to do the unexpected sometimes for the undeserving as an act of worship so God can get the glory amen and that's the same exhortation and proposal that I would make to you this morning here a couple of thousand years after the fact that Paul wrote this letter that the tendency and we live in a very a very uh, concerning time and there's a lot of things to be frustrated with And you're going to see how we used to be in Titus chapter uh, 3, verse uh, 3. He writes about how we used to be, and you're going to see that. And it's how some of them used to be, and Paul is trying to help them to see that rather than looking at contempt with their, at their magistrates, with their Roman leadership, looking at contempt with the people that know the pirates and are in cahoots with the pirates on the island, looking at contempt with the, the people that the false teachers who are trying to garner following and divide the church and are in it for the money, Paul says instead of following all of those Things and lines of thought and letting that be conveyed and lived out in the things we say and the attitudes we we express. He says, I want you to think differently. I want you to go against the grain of culture, and I want you to act in act do, do acts of compassion, selfless acts of service in such a way that the gospel is given credibility and you gain a hearing, and that what people really need anyway is the gospel. It not only shows us how we can be right with God, but it also also shows us how we can repair broken relationships in our homes and families and, and pull together and do something that supersedes and transcends uh, the problems and difficulties and, and the, uh, and the uh, setbacks of the culture in which we live. And so he does that. He, he begins to emphasize this. Uh, and it's interesting. Let me just go ahead and just read these verses. And then I'll just kind of summarize them in some brief exhortations, and then we'll deal with the verses a little more uh, in detail as we'll back up and deal with them in detail in just a moment. But just on the screen, I I believe it's uh, slide number six for me, if you would. Uh, Slide number six, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, and just follow with me here. Uh, To be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, lest we come at this with arrogance, he says, At one time, we too, I like how he includes himself, don't you? We too were foolish on the screen, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures we lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another man that sounds so true today but when the kindness the contrast of word but when the kindness and love of god our savior appeared he saved us not because of righteous things we had done but because of his mercy He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. In other words, it's a very credible uh, baptismal Uh, catechism that he's just quoted that's well known. It's early Christianity in its finest form, verses 4 through 7. This is a trustworthy saying, he says, And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Rather than look with contempt on a fallen, depraved Cretan culture, Paul says, I want you to bring these gospel truths to mind and live them out in such a way that the good news can be conveyed. And it's conveyed sometimes through selfless acts of service. You know, we are attracted to stories where self is set aside for something greater, aren't we? We love stories like that, uh, where something that's invisible, we know there's something, there's a higher call to live our life for, and you, and when somebody lives that out in a selfless act of sacrificial love, we just stand back and we think, wow, that's so beautiful, that's so countercultural, that says, I mean, it, and if you're a believer and you're doing it for the glory of God, then it brings glory to God, and it's an incredible impact in your community. And when you, when you get somebody that's living their life that way consistently over time, you can be sure that they're viewing life as an act of worship. And they're viewing those things, those good deeds, those selfless sacrificial acts as acts of worship. And like I said, we're attracted to stories like this. And when it happens, we know that there's something deeper going on. You know, I saw not long ago, how a dental specialist at a dental office and just roll the video and don't play the audio, just roll the video so people can see this on the screen. I saw, it wasn't that long ago, maybe a month or so ago, there's a dental specialist at a dental office and she was surprised by the dentist who owned the practice. A couple of dentists owned the practice and, and unexpectedly one day, they gathered everyone up in the dental office and they all surrounded this lady and she had worked for these guys for 20 years of just, she was a positive presence in the practice. I mean, people, uh, she greeted people, she served people, and she did her job as a dental specialist. And just all of these wonderful things for 20 years that she had done that. And they showed up one day, and those dentists stepped forward, and they just counted out in her hand a stack of 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 20,000. $1,000, they just put in her hand for $1,000 for every year that she had ser- faithfully served that dental practice. I did the follow-up story, and, uh, and it's beautiful because she took that $20,000 and bought her first home. She had never, I guess, bought a home, and she bought a home with that. And Paul, that's an, an example, an amplification of what I think Paul was driving at that when we do sacrificial acts like that, when we, when we do the unexpected as an act of worship, that it says something to the community in which we live. It makes a statement. It's like you're preaching a sermon without using words because your actions are declaring something great, something beautiful. I heard about a guy... Uh, who was having some complications in his life, and he had to miss work. And when he opened his check, he he had worked a week, and so he expected the one week pay. But there was it was a two every two weeks, and so he saw that his check still had the two week amount of pay that he normally would receive, and it frightened him. And so he went, he goes to the front office, and he and he said, hey, he said, you know, I'm I've had some complications, I've had to miss work. I'm out of vacation time and sick leave and stuff. And so I, I, know, I, I know I'm not going to be paid. I wasn't to be paid for this week that I was off. But he said it's, the amount of my check is still the same as I always got if I, as if I worked the two weeks. And what he found out was that all of his fellow employees had donated any remaining vacation time that they have for the rest of the year. And they've donated it to him so he wouldn't have to miss a check. And that touches me. And I think that's what Paul is driving at when he talks about the new community on the island of Crete. That sometimes we honor 20-year workers. And sometimes we we uh we sacrifice vacation time so somebody doesn't have to miss a check, especially in the holiday season. And there's a sermon in that. There's a powerful witness in that. It's not a contemptible stance where we we decry the, the, the rottenness and the decadence of culture. And there's so much there to decry, but it's a stance of, no, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to instead, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to invest myself and divest myself and self-sacrificially serve in this community. And I'm going to serve it in a way that uh, I do the unexpected as an act of worship, so that it brings not glory to me, but glory to God. I heard about Peter Strzok, a a college student at the University of Wisconsin. He was kicked out of his fraternity house because he couldn't pay the rent. I guess some of those guys have to pay rent, all right? It wasn't that much, but he couldn't pay it. He's a poor college student. And you know, he found refuge in a Christian fellowship house after the fraternity guys kicked him out for not being able to pay the rent. And one guy gave him a little cash, and he said it was like It was just a little bit but it felt like a king's ransom to him because somebody did the unexpected as an act of worship and god touched a life through that and see this is not big and hard and heady stuff this is just simple things and god has given us this calling this vision god gave paul this vision god gave titus this vision That the believers on Crete were to be great citizens. They were to be great neighbors. Uh, And when paul 's go to answer not just here in this letter but in other places his go to answer for how to best represent the gospel over the long haul of daily living in an imperfect government in a culture that 's decaying and that 's rotten to the core in a lot of areas and ways and yes we are to, to we are to seek to redeem we are to seek to engage we are to seek to speak truth into those cultures and in those situations but but Overall, over over the long haul of life, to view all of life as an act of worship, to do the unexpected, maybe even for the undeserving, as an act of worship to God. And that's transformative in a community. That changes lives. And so I think oftentimes we try to uh, slide number 11, if you would, for me. Uh, we, we try to come up with this dichotomy of the sacred and the secular. And what I do at church is sacred. I listen to the uh, message, and maybe I, uh, I, uh, I am a part of the singing, and I do uh, maybe small groups and other things, and that's sacred. But when I go home, then I, I turn to the secular world, and everything else is secular. Everything that lies outside of the church is secular. And Paul just hammers and just mashes and pulverizes this, this dichotomy. He says, no. He says, all of life is sacred. It's all act, acts of worship. And he says it in so many words. He says in Corinthians, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so he just demolishes the dichotomy, and we realize that God cares about everything that we do. If it's giving, if it's giving money to an employee or sacrificing vacation time or welcoming someone into a fellowship house, okay? It's whatever God's calling us to do when we do those things self-sacrificially. It's an incredible statement of worship it's an act of worship just like singing or listening to a message or praying or reading the bible these are acts of worship that you do and when we do them uh, for the in an unexpected in an unexpected way as an act of worship it has an impact it makes a difference you know if i could somehow just simplify all of these words these verses here in in uh, titus uh I would just say to you, you know, to do the unexpected, and sometimes the unexpected is follow Jesus. Sometimes that's the unexpected. Maybe you've not followed Jesus in your life, and maybe following Jesus is the unexpected thing to do. Maybe churching with others, that's what the whole letter of Titus is about, is people who are choosing to church with other people. And when we church with others, it makes a difference. You know, recently... Uh, there was someone in our congregation, well it was Melissa Parks and her mother uh, eventually had passed away and our thoughts are with the Parks family. But one of the things that came out of that was that as their family tended um, to her needs each day and as they filled the questions and they were there in the hospital room Parkview Regional, one of the things that the family noticed was how people were bringing food in and there was visitors that dropped in to say hello, to pray with them, to support them and and the family's just kind of sitting back and they're watching all this from day to day. And it's like, what kind of people do this? And somebody in the family said, well, it's a church. That's what a church is. And it's just, it's dropping food. It's a card. It's an it's a unexpected visit. It's those are the things, church, that God uses to create a billboard for the gospel and to be a positive high impact in the culture. So we follow Jesus, maybe churching with others, uh, raising a great family. Uh, Somebody just sent me a snapshot a few weeks ago. All five starters on the uh, West Noble basketball team were people who attended our church at one time, or at least currently, maybe in the last few weeks, they've been here. Isn't that amazing? That, That when we raise a great family, and they are doing, their, doing what they do and doing it as best as they can do it. And to know that, uh, that the way they play the game is an impact on people around them. Be a great citizen is an exhortation we can make from all of this. Follow Jesus, church with others, raise a great family, be a great citizen. Uh, I did a funeral a while back for Patty Fizzle. And she, she told me in the final weeks of her life, she said the reason I became a mayor was because someone wanted to bulldoze Ligonier and just push it in the river. And she said, I've been in this community my whole life, and I didn't want to see that happen, in Ligonier. I wanted the history to be preserved, and I wanted to do some good in my town and my community. And so she was a great citizen. She actually ran for mayor and was mayor for several years. And uh, she had an impact because she was a great citizen okay and Paul's like he wants that that's his vision for the island of Crete for people to follow Jesus and the church with others and to raise great families and to be great citizens in their town and to meet felt needs and and to be the best worker in their companies and in their offices and in their schools, to be the very best, to to grow a friendship with a non-believer, to to faithfully grow that friendship maybe with someone who's on the outside of this thing we call the gospel and and, and the faith. To do the unexpected as an act of worship. Paul says this is his go-to method for reaching a community for changing a community, living out this life of good works. Slide number 10, we see it in verse 8 again, to, to, to excel in good works and to make sure that our life and actions don't contradict what we say, but that we live out in, in behavior and words all that, all that the gospel is and, that, and what it represents. And really, when we, when we look over uh, this entire passage we can just see these things that if we go back to verse 1 of this slide number 6 if you would for me we can see this how that Paul just kind of organizes all these exhortations he organizes them under these three or four just uh, things to remember so he he talks about remembering our civil obligations to be again to be uh, good neighbors and community members and to show kindness to be to remember our former condition in verse three and and what we used to be to remember salvation and how we personally applied that to our life and and took that step of baptism and he kind of alludes to that in verses four through seven and finally to remember to stress these things in in verse eight something else i want you to see is that uh it's not just here in this passage but there's other places where Paul talks about good deeds, he says in chapter two, verse seven, be an example of good deeds in two fourteen zealous for good deeds in three one be ready for every good deed in three eight be careful to engage in good deeds in three fourteen learn to engage in good deeds to meet the pressing needs. Do the unexpected as an act of worship on the island of Crete and see what God might do. And see God work and move in that body, of, uh, in that group of people. Now, let me clarify. We're not doing good deeds because we uh, want to earn our way to heaven. I think that goes without saying in a church like this, emphasizing the gospel for years, it's never, ever doing good deeds because we want to earn our way into heaven. Rather, we do good deeds because we're already on our way to heaven. And God is calling us to live our life in such a way that it's not, we're not saved by works, we're saved unto good works. And such that we are a billboard, a, a living testimony, a living sermon of what it means to engage a culture that so desperately needs the gospel. And they need someone like you and me who live out these selfless acts of service uh, to God as acts of worship, even to the undeserving. Verse 1 says. So let's just back it up now. Verse 1, he talks about remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. And I've already told you what their reputation was. The stereotypes were for the Cretans, all right? Reading between the lines, they were typically giving the magistrates and the rulers a hard time. And Paul steps in and says, "Wait a second. That's not how we're going to roll on the island. We're going to make it easier for these guys to do their jobs." We're going to make it easier for them. We're not going to be anarchists and rebels, and we're not going to uh, you know, align ourselves with the hippies of the 60s and live in caves and, and take pot shots and do our private our piracy on the island and, and uh, kind of just uh, do our nefarious... Uh, Goals and, and reach and do these things on the island to create unstableness, no, no, or instability, no, no, he says we 're going to be obedient as much as possible acts five twenty nine is so, so long as we don 't uh, conflict with the commands of god we 're going to support these leaders that God has given us we 're going to be ready, uh, fully prepared on the screen to do whatever is good we 're going to cooperate with our community leaders we 're going to reject passivity and apathy. Uh, Verse 2, slander no one. Do I need to give the altar call now or later? Uh, Sometimes I just would say it. When you have these words that form in your mind, words like stupid, jerk, fool, all right, especially when aimed at other people, be careful when you say that and how you say that. Now, when you live in the culture we live in and the government we have and the what's going on in the world, I can guarantee you, I have full confession, full disclosure here. I have thought of all three of these words rather recently. All right? I have, some of you are amen. I know. Stupid, jerk, fool. Yeah, I've said all of those to myself. All right? But Paul's point here is not whether it's true or whether it's false. He doesn't even go there. He just says, hey, be careful. Because if you're known for that kind of language, it's going to alienate, and you're going to get in the way of these selfless acts of service, these unexpected good deeds that you're going to be doing in the community. It's going to work against you. And so he says, hey, let's let's tone it down. Slander no one. Let's just play it safe. Slander no one. To be peaceable, not always stirring up trouble. Um, I had when I before I came here, I pastored in a community, and a guy he would always he knew I was a pastor, and every time he would see me, he would always say, "Joey, what are you going to stir up today?" It's like I, don't know, I hopefully nothing, but uh, that's just his view of things that churches and pastors stir up stuff. We don't want to be just stirring up stuff for no good reason. No, no, we're peaceable. We support when we can support. We're considerate. uh, A sweet reasonableness is a great translation of that word. Uh, We're always to be gentle towards everyone. So Paul is setting the bar rather high here, but he's trying to say it. And I'm trying to say it this morning as, as a... As a uh, winsome as I can say it, okay? So we are, God's, we are God's billboard on the interstate of life, okay? We are God's advertisement plan in the community. We are God's PowerPoint in the executive suite of Microsoft Office uh, programs, all right? We are Exhibit A in the defense of the gospel, and the way we live that out is so critical. It's it's that we live it out with we do the unexpected as an act of worship, sometimes even for the undeserving, so that God gets the glory. Several of you have gotten citizen of the year in our community. And I'm proud of you for that. That encourages me. That's why being at Stone Seal is a great place to be. Some of you have done lots of things that you should be the citizen of the year because of how you have served and coached and taught and led and administrated and made this community what it is. You know, in the month of of, uh, February, I lead a group called uh, New Community Initiatives. We meet once a week, and we strategize how we can meet the felt needs of our community. In the month of February, the superintendent of West Noble, a school Corporation is going to be presenting here for at least a few moments about some of the felt needs he sees and feels in the community, whether it's the education of the community at large. And I want all of you to come. I want you to be have a good, strong showing that day, February 11th. I believe is the date we got for that. Because you know why? When people think of Stones Hill and Joey Nelson and Deb, Deb and Dave and 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 Nate and and Barb and the elders, when they think of our church, they think of, wow, look at that church. They love our community. They love our community. Ashley, Kelly, the whole group. And I want us to be known for that. And yes, sometimes I've got to preach the hard sermon. And I assure you, I will do that as the word presents those sermons and as I have to, to check the, the ideology and the worldview of culture. But I want us to be extravagant in our service, just like you have been, because it makes a difference. People love our church. If our, if our tra- church dried up and went away, our community would miss us severely, because this is the way you guys roll. And Paul says, I want you to remember your civic duty. I want you to see it as acts of worship. I want you to step in and do, that, do those things that maybe nobody else does, because it makes a difference in the community. And, it, and it's a blueprint. God's, uh, Paul Paul's given us a blueprint for how to engage in our places of where we live. Not only does he say, remember, uh, remember our civic obligations, but he says here, remind them in so many words, remember your former condition. Because it will ensure that we approach all of this with an attitude of humility. All right? So remember your old life. Uh, Verse 3 now on the screen. The next slide. Remember your old life before you became a Christ follower because that's going to help you understand and and be a ministry to the people you live with. At one time, we, Paul includes himself, we, he's in solidarity with all of us who are people who are, are sinful people, right? At one time, we, not just you guys on Crete, no, it's me too, Paul says at one time we too were foolish. We were biased against God. We were disobedient. That is, we rebelled against authority too. We were. Deceived, we we uh, were misled and maybe duped, and we followed the wrong spiritual guides, and and we were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, and and we had a a moral compass, but we didn't pay any attention to it. We were a slave to our appetites and our passions, and so we did everything imaginable, mentally and physically. We were so off base, and we lived for ourselves. We consumed, and we were we were just caught up in the in the cultural. Um, whirlpools and cesspools of culture and that's that's how we lived our life and that's all of our stories he says we lived in malice we we wished people uh, wishing people evil in their life and so we, we lived with malice and we lived with envy that is we resented we, we, we not only wished people evil but we envied them to the degree that we resented their good and we were never satisfied with what we had and we always wondered what, what other people had Paul says, and he wraps up this chilling, this chilling commentary and biography. It's every man and every woman's biography. He says, we being hated and hating one another, what a chilling sentence. And what is even more chilling is that if you are not in Christ this morning, this is your present reality. This is your life without Jesus. And so when I see this, I see this contrast that Paul was setting up here in the, in the first three verses of Titus chapter 3 uh, here. And he, it's a very deliberate contrast. See if you see it too, okay? Look, look with me if you would. Um, so there's a contrast developed between the kind of people Christians can be in Christ and the kind of people we once were in verse 3. And so the contrast is between submissiveness and foolishness. You see that in these three verses. It's between obedience and disobedience. It's between a readiness to do good and an enslavement to do evil. It's between kindness and peaceableness on the one hand and malice and envy on the other hand. Do you see it? It's between being humble and gentle, and then on the other hand, being hateful and hating. And so Paul just lays this out in such vivid terms. And he gives these very vivid snapshots, these spotlights. He spotlights these areas of our life in such a way that we would see it. Not that we would be depressed or discouraged by it. No, that we would be humbled by it. That somehow we would understand that by spotlighting vividly this commentary on our pre-Christ days, that by, by spotlighting it, it would amplify the grace of God. And we would see how beautiful grace is at, that we read about here in the next upcoming verses in 4 through 7. And so Paul is wanting to not only have you to remember your civic obligations, he's wanting you to remember your former life because it's going to help you do your civic obligations with the right attitude. It's going to help you live your life with the right attitude and the right perspective. And not only that, but the way he says this in verses 4 through 7, and he calls it a trustworthy saying in verse 8, we know that this is a creedal hymn. Because in, in slide number 10, he says it. He quotes verses 4 through 7, and then he says this is a trustworthy saying. Well, what's the saying? It's a credo hymn, and it's the way when you speak it aloud, it has a rhythm to it. It's suggestive of lyrics that was well sung, a well sung hymn, a well-established, chanted catechism that the baptisms probably had quoted around them while they were being immersed in the water and being brought back out uh, of, of the baptism waters so these words in verses 4 through 7 these verses would be chanted and sung and quoted as these baptism kennels would be lowered in and out of the water and Paul takes them to this and he says not only remember your civic obligation not only remember the the, the uh, former life that you used to live but he says I want you to remember the gospel don't miss the gospel that's what we that's the core of this whole thing and the main verb of verses 4 through 7 is the verb, he saved us. Go to verse 4, slide number, uh, whatever slide number that is, okay? Verse 4, all right? But when, so he sets this up, okay? And, and before I move on to show you how beautiful this is, I'm going to confess something else to you. I've been following very closely this, uh, the, the Israel Gaza conflict, and the awful, atrocious things that have been done, and the hatred that not only is there, but spilling out into university campuses here in the States, that people are being hated because of their racial identity. And just when I thought there's no way our our politically correct culture would ever allow something like this to go on, You, you put any other group in that group. Replace the, the Jewish people with any other group, any other aggrieved group. And you would never see happen what's happening on, on college, Ivy, uh, Ivy Tech. Listen, Ivy League. Ivy League schools and universities across America. People are being hated simply because they're Jews. You see that? And that's the way we roll in our pre-Christ life. We hate and we're hating, and you know, for the most part, I'm, I endeavor to be a positive person that looks on the good side of most everything in life. I, want, I hope I can be that way. I, it's the work of God in me. It's not always me, but I try to be that way, but for the maybe the first time in my life, and it's been so long since I've hated, okay, I, I just don't even remember what it's like to hate because Jesus has delivered me from it, and praise God, His love fills my life and my heart, and I fight against it sometimes because of of my viewpoints and my hurt feelings. I understand that, and that's our story. But for the first time in my life, I've come up against this hatred thing in a post-Christian walk. And I have to be very careful who and what I hate because I'm ticked. And I have to be careful not to hate people made in the image of God but I gotta hate the causes that they're aligned with and what's been done to infants and to mothers and fathers 1,400 people and what's the deal is that you have people uh, who are witnessing this 45-minute documentary it was actually it was actually uh, it's cell phone video from Hamas themselves from their GoPros their cameras this is not doctors this is not produced artificially in AI this is the real stuff you see this these atrocities these children cowering for cover being shot anyway uh, dismembered I I just I can't go there because like I said it's messing with my head and for the first time in my life I'm just like God you're gonna guide me here I don't want to let this thing bleed into hatred I start hating a people group. that's no way to win a world my sense of justice has been affronted. All these things that you struggle with. And when you see the stories and you understand the injustice of all of it and the basis for all of it. And it's the desire to completely eliminate a people group. Now we know, we know biblically why that's so. And, and I've told you that before, because that's the devil's plan he doesn't want the second coming to happen. He's got to take care of all the Jews to keep repentance from happening and second coming thwarted and thus Satan thinks he's safe for all eternity. We know biblically what's going on. But the world doesn't understand that. And there's a lot of hatred in the world and hating in the world. And I just want to go on record here this morning that's a constant struggle for me for the first time in my spiritual life. I have to be very, Very careful. Very careful who I call fool and jerk and lowlife life and zero because I wanna represent Jesus. But I'm ticked, I'm ticked at what has happened and what is happening, not just there, but here in the United States of America. But this is the old life. We can't go there. I can't redeem anything. He has to be the one that redeems it. And my calling is not to call people fool and stupid and idiots and zeros. That's not my calling. My calling is to, is to, in close proximity with Jesus, walking with Jesus, loving Jesus, coming back to this great act of Christmas. Because verse 4 tells me that when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He appeared in all the hate and the hating and the malice and the passion and pleasures and foolishness and disobedience and deception and enslavement. He comes into this. He steps into this with kindness and love of God our Savior appears, and I want you to notice something in these verses, that all three persons of the Trinity are present in these verses. We are Trinitarian at Stones Hill Community Church. We are not Unitarian. We are Trinitarian. We believe in a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father came up with salvation's plan. The Son accomplished salvation's plan. The Spirit applies salvation's plan. And this morning, the question... The ultimate act of self-sacrificial service, when we do the unexpected as an act of worship, the ultimate thing that we can do is to bow, not just tip our hat, but bow the knee to our Lord and Savior and let Him change our life. That's the ultimate act of worship. The ultimate act. And Paul writes about that here. And it's beautiful. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. It's the word epiphany. We used it last week and talked about it in uh, chapter 2, verse 11. Paul used it twice. And so now he's talking about the, the, the kindness and love of God. Our Savior appeared, all right? The kindness and love has always been there. It's intrinsic to who God is, but at Christmas, it became visible. There was a moment in human history where the kindness and the love and the grace and the mercy of God steps into the carnal world in which we live and the world filled with hate in which we live, and he did something remarkable. He saved us, and that's what Christmas is about. The main verb of all three verses here in 4 through 7. He saved us, slide number 8. We were facing condemnation and judgment and death, but he saved us. And there was nothing that we could do. We were deceived. We were enslaved. Our will could not engage like like we should have been able to pre-fall, right? We wouldn't engage. We wouldn't pursue God. We were powerless and helpless, but he saved. And that's the gospel. Now, I can hear the rebuttal coming from the world and the culture. Well, he saved us from what? You know, I can hear this in my mind. The rebuttal. You Christians are always talking about being saved. You Christians are always talking about getting found or being rescued. Rescued from what? Pastor, right? I can just hear the culture coming at me, coming at you, the church. Being saved from what? I I go to my psychologist and my counselor, and they save me from convoluted thinking. Am I saved? I've got crystals, tarot cards. I do divinations and rituals. They save me from a lot of uncertain things in my future. I even have maybe a good job. I make pretty good. There's a family that I have. And they kind of saved me from stuff in life. What do you mean he saved us? What do you mean? Well, verse 2 is our universal story. The verses we just read where Paul writes about that spiral down. And he spotlights this stuff. And we are sinners Not only by act, but by nature. And at the very core of who we are, we are rebels who have turned our back on our creator. And that means that we will perish unless God does something to heal our hearts. And because of Jesus and his work, we who are fallen and depraved in our sin can now stand before a holy God and have fellowship with him. Even though he's holy and pure and without mistake and without sin. We who are sinners... Because of what Christ has done in our behalf, are enabled now to stand before Him, have fellowship with him and eternal life with him. He saved us. Everyone needs saved. Well, what about me? I've got a lot of money. Well, according to the Bible, you're a wealthy sinner. That's all you are without Jesus. Well, what about me? I, I'm really pretty or I'm handsome. And I have modeling contracts. That's not me. I'm just saying, theoretically. So you're a beautiful and handsome sinner, according to the Bible. Well, you may say, well, I'm really in good shape. I'm physically fit. So you're a physically fit sinner. But at the foot of the cross, you can be and you are by the grace of God, a forgiven sinner. And that strikes at the very heart of our vision statement as a church, to see people, to lead people to God's forgiveness, right, on the bulletin every week, to lead people to God's forgiveness and see them restored to all that God created them to be. You can be a forgiven sinner Why does God even bother to save us? I can't believe the culture would even ask that question, but it's because we hate and we envy and we consume and we disrespect. And, and, And so God saves us because he loves us, and he loves us even though it injured him in the loving. It injured him and his son in the loving. He still loves, and when we give our life to Christ, it's the greatest act of worship, and I don't want to fail this opportunity to say, do it today. Do it today. Not because of righteous things we had done on the screen, but because of his mercy, he says it a second time, the main verb. He saved us from eternal destruction. And the story, see, see we, got, we got these two stories in the culture that kind of circulates. And this is, you kind of see this when you have conversations with people. There's the one story that says that we're all seeking God. You know, we're innocent humans. We're all seeking God. And God has made it, for some reason, hard for us to find him. And so we just pick a world religion or a spiritual path or some kind of director or some kind of an approach. And we just hope for the best. That's one story, but there's another story, and it's the biblical story. And the biblical story is not that we're all seeking God, and he's made it hard for us to find him. No, no, the biblical frame of reference and worldview is that the story is that we don't seek God, and so God came seeking me. And that's Christmas. We don't seek God. The sheep don't look for the shepherd. No, no, the shepherd comes looking for the sheep, and that is Christmas. And what happens? Well, there's the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And so it's definitely a spirit washing, but he uses terminology that that conveys A baptism experience, which is, this would have been read while baptisms were happening there on the island of Crete. Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, it's a legal term, though we're guilty, he declares us righteous on the merits of another, that we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to assume my coach in the locker room at halftime mood. And sometimes I do that, and you'll have to forgive me. Sometimes I'll just feel like I'm in the locker room, and we're trying to turn this thing and save the game. And sometimes I feel that way in my preaching and and teaching. But this morning, I'm going to hold it back. I'm just going to hold it back a little for civility's sake. All right? I don't want to spit on anybody. But we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Why did God save you? He loves you, and he wants to make you an heir. That you inherit everything that is rightfully His, it can now be yours. And that's the gospel. And we champion that. There's a little more here to talk about this morning, but I need to wrap it up. Several years ago, slide number 24, if you would, for me. Several years ago, right here on this stage. We were doing baptisms in 2014, and we've had many baptisms here over the years, and they've been just beautiful moments, beautiful moments, and I had a request that day that I'd never had before. I always do a baptism orientation, and so I walk people through the uh, steps of baptism and what it means, and you've done that with me, and then we have the baptism day, and it's a thrilling, wonderful moment. People just, just sense that personal washing and regeneration we just read about. And so this guy that was going to be baptized that day, he said, hey, I have a request. He says, I have a GoPro camera, and I want to put my GoPro camera on my head, my forehead, and I want to be baptized. I'm going to hit the play on that thing, and I want to be baptized while that camera is rolling. And so it's not just that we were videoing him uh, being baptized here on the stage. No, no, the video was on his head, Right? It was on his head. And so he said, I just want to see what it's like and remember what it's like from my perspective. And so we did that. And, and I don't know, was anybody, do, does anybody remember this day, this Sunday, the guy wore the GoPro? Yes, I see some heads nodding. Yeah, I remember that, by 2014. Okay, and so we did that. And you know, uh, I want to show you the video. Uh, just go ahead and roll the video, if you would. This is what it looks like to be baptized from a baptism's perspective, some beardless dude there, and then he's down in the water, right, the watery grave of judgment is over him, and now you're being called forth to new life, we slow mode this, okay, the water's just all over, and you're buried, and it's dark, and it's, and it's oh no, and then up out of the grave you come, be careful, Joey, don't spit, all right, up out of the grave, and there's a smiley mug of that dude, and then you've got I think Nate there leading the music, you got Monica and her girls, which are all like 18 or 19 now, so it's been a few years, okay? Comes up out of the water. I have showed that video. The classes I teach in southern Indiana, I show that video. I've showed it to other people I've discipled and things, baptism candidates. I've showed it and showed it and showed it. I love it because it gives you a visual of exactly what's happening when, when you're washed clean, you're brought up out of the water, you're brand new, you're, and you represent new life right it's beautiful I love that moment and that's one of the primary reasons why uh, well there's other reasons but we emphasize immersion because it pictures that we show that death and then that raising up to life again a couple weeks ago I get a call from Lois Tamayo she's a chaplain for Goshen Hospice some of you know uh, Lois and uh, Pedro, her husband, who pastors the church, I think the Lutheran church behind the library, I think it's where Pedro pastors. I get the call, and, and I realize she works for hospice. You know where this is going, don't you? And uh, I said, hey, Lois, I got a message here I need to talk to you about Tommy Joint. I baptized him in 2014. What's up? Well, I couldn't remember the year at that time, but I figured it out. What's up? Tommy has cirrhosis of the liver, two to three months, sitting in a bedroom, in his father's bedroom, and off a of county road east of Goshen. Went to Fairfield High School, 2001, he wrestled. And I showed him that video this week. I reminded him of his baptism. And nothing else in that moment is more important than the gospel of Jesus and that gospel into which you've been baptized, saved and changed. And I look back on that, and I quite honestly, for the last 10 years or so, it got me thinking. And Tommy would tell you this, probably it was preventable. It was preventable. I won't get into the fine details of decisions made, but you probably can piece together when you have cirrhosis of the liver what's been happening in life. And he would tell you that. But it, it moved to me and it has, it has moved me. And it's moved me to such a degree and I'll get something else that's happened. I came out of elder meeting late one evening. For some reason, I think it was budget discussion, so we're here a little later than we normally are, about 11 o'clock. So I'm headed out. And n- normally it's not that late. And it's, meetings are productive and short. And get stuff done and we move on. But it was a little later that evening. And um, I'm going to my car, trying to get out of the church before the alarm kicks in at 11 o'clock. Nobody likes to reset the alarm. All right. You know, I just told everybody when our alarm clicks on. That's probably not a good idea. Strike that from the stream if you would. (laughs) Our alarm is on at all times, isn't it? Yes. Yes. (laughs) 11 p.m. it goes, it it comes on, it activates, self-activates. Okay. So I'm going my car getting out of the church quick and i see a police cruiser pull up and uh brayden becker says he he works the beat light night shift and he'll drive by our church several times a night thank you mr becker but i said hey what are you listening to he said i'm listening to jim ramos men in the arena it's an incredible podcast i said thank you Braden. that's what i was looking for See, I don't want any more Tommy Joints. Do you see what I'm saying? I want Tommy Joints baptism, but I don't want Tommy joint stories. And so what we're simply going to do, all the men of Stones Hill, you can get on this app. You saw it up on the screen. Just get on the app. You'll be invited to listen to a podcast Every other, two meetings, two Wednesday meetings a month at 6.30, okay, discussion group. You don't have to, even if you don't want to make those, listen to the podcast, follow the discussion of uh, the guys that are dealing with it, that are listening to it. Men in the arena. Baptism is a major thing. It's important. It's a life step. But we have to walk in it. And make good decisions. So we can fulfill the purpose God has for us if this is all sketchy don't worry about it okay just an app it's a QR code was on the slide uh, the band app men in the arena you can we'll post a podcast listen to it on the way to work if you want to comment on it you can if you want to come to a discussion group and discuss it you can if you don't want to no problem just follow the app if somebody is struggling with an addiction don't do that alone it'll eat you alive we got to do something, and that's just the first step to try to build community, at least among the men. Say, hey, wait a second. We're going to grow our minds, and we're going to stay engaged, at least in a loose way, that we can help people along, make sure we stay on the path. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for your love and grace. And we thank you for how you work. You've been at work in my life. You've been at work in the Tommy Joints of life. And we thank you for the love of this church and the ministry of this church. Just as Paul reminded the Cretans of their baptism with these wonderful words, just as he reminded them of their former life and just as he reminded them of their civic duty, I just stood before this group of people. And I remind them of this beautiful, beautiful opportunity that we have together, even though we wrestle with hate, we wrestle with hatred and hating, we wrestle with passions and lust and, and uh, we, we wrestle with values and we wrestle with relationships. God, you are the, you are the changing, life-changing factor in all of that. You saved us. And that means something. And so God, if there's somebody here that needs to go down in that water and come up a brand new person in Christ, of course, as a sign of their already present faith and belief, you would just tap them on the shoulder and we'll be ready to take that step here maybe in a few months. And I just ask and pray, Lord, this morning that you would help us to do the unexpected, maybe even for the undeserving, as an act of worship, because all of life is worship that we would do that and such that this church would be this beautiful billboard of the grace of God the love of God the truth of God the gospel of God the regeneration of God the new life the new family of God Lord that you would make it so in your strong name we pray Amen Will you stand with me? You've been a great group. You're dismissed. Have a great week.